Well, one of the things we always love to do when we kind of get to this point in the service is make sure that everybody tuning in feels welcome in the room. So we're not only glad you guys are here, we're glad the folks are there in the center of the overflow and the online. Would you welcome them into our room right now, though? So glad you guys are here with us. And uh, please don't book the eye appointment. Your left of a vision is not going. It's the screen, okay? Our bad on that little technical difficulty. Uh, however, uh, good news is birds in the back are not involved, what I understand, if anybody remembers that particular weekend. Uh, when Sula and I got married, you know how you, you're young and in love, you, you kind of do a few cheap things, and we, uh, rather than go out a whole lot, we'd uh, watch a little TV and a little game show once in a while. Anybody remember the old days of, uh, I think it was the 100 thousand dollar pyramid. I don't know if it's still on, still maybe in syndication or something. Uh, I'm so old, I remember back to uh, Truth or Consequences with uh, uh, Bob Barker long before it was come on down, the price is right. He was on that. So this is uh, way, way back <laughs> and, and uh, way back even before remote on the TV. So a, a fun time for us was uh, I'll go to the TV, turn the volume down, she'll give me the clues and we'll give it a try. So if we could do a little run through just to test your awareness to see if you can catch on. This will help to uh, get us ready and, and segue into the topic that we want to talk and speak about today. Uh, but if I would mention things like uh, masticcioli, linguine, fettuccine, uh, olive oil, uh, tiramisu, you would say the topic would probably be what? Uh, right, Italian type of food, that's right. How many are already making plans to go to Olive Garden today? Okay, just after hearing that. Now, if you would hear another list trying to guess the topic and category, if I would say things like Simon and Garfunkel, Waylon Jennings, Alice Cooper. Now, that's kind of an odd match there. Uh, the Eagles, The Temptations, Peter Frampton. You would probably say, okay, George is still stuck in the 70s music. That's a little bit back there. But to honestly get into our topic today, if I would say things like your car's transmission, a blown motor, an engine, broken relationships, the walls of Jerusalem, and both of my hips, you would say things that are rebuilt or need to be rebuilt, or in my case, replaced. And that the things that needed to be rebuilt in our, our topic in the, in the Bible today were the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nathan began that message last weekend, and a lot of you don't know it, but I attended Northside's first midnight mass last Sunday. Uh, actually, Saturday night. No, it, it, the service was at five o'clock, but I was in Romania and it was midnight. So I'm catching that and I'm making some screenshots of his points because in preaching this weekend, I got to be ready. What are we going to be talking about when it comes to having this bold vision for a better tomorrow based upon what needs to be rebuilt? Things in our life will always need some form of, of uh, uh, refurbishing and rebuilding, but we talked about how Nehemiah, when he had this encounter with God in this prayerful time, that he had to have certain things that he walked through on that. Now, I, I went ahead and, and sent the screenshots to the, to the gang here on the tech team. And if you'll remember with me, just by way of review, Nathan talked about a lot about being open to what was broken. You and I need to understand in our life, there are some things that are broken. And we have to be honest about that. He went on and said that we have to move into a moment of fervent prayer where we just say, God, I'm not going to live in denial. I realize this isn't working, and I need to pray. Uh, we need to understand there's always going to be costly obedience, and it's going to cost you something in your heart, in your life, in your spirit 
to be able to, to let God redo that. But I love the final picture. And I was right there along with you. There's a posture of prayer that you and I need to not only have, but to sustain. So I was right there in Clues, Romania before I got on a plane, uh, you know, Monday morning and kneeling by the side of the bed at a motel saying, God, help me retain this position, this posture of prayer. So Nehemiah had a big question that he had to deal with, and that's one that we always deal with when something needs to be rebuilt, and that is now what? After the exile, all the Jewish people had been scattered. They hadn't followed God with a, a, a good heart, and God said, the moment you turn from me, I'll let you kind of fade away, and then the moment you come back to me, I'm going to bring you on back. Nehemiah knew that. He was in a great position because he was the cupbearer, and the cupbearer to the king meant he would taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poison. So the king had a tremendous trust. He trusted Nehemiah with his life and his wife. That's the type of relationship they had. But he has a burden of prayer, and now he has a vision. He has a vision that was an internal vision. It wasn't some big thing that God said, go do this. It was not the Blues Brothers, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, get the band together, okay? It was this sense of this is what God wants, so why wouldn't I be a part of that? The type of vision that Jesus cast to his disciples in the New Testament when he asked and said, uh, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some, some Jesus think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some think you're uh, Elijah come back from the dead. And some think you're just a prophet. And then he said, okay, enough of popular opinion. Who do you think I am? And Peter says, I know you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but it's been my father in heaven. And then he casts the vision that you and I are a part of today. And he says, upon this rock, upon this foundational principle that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. And Nehemiah hadn't heard that yet, but that's the same type of vision. His question was, how does that come about? But his vision was he knew the city of God, Jerusalem, had been burnt down and torched and torn apart, and he knew that God wanted the city restored because he wanted his people restored. The people are coming back. Who in the world is going to step up and make this a place where God's people can come back, where God will be honored and revered once again? He knew the message all through the Old Testament. The message that we need to live in the, the awareness of, and that is that Adam and Eve wasn't the end. God said, okay, major mistake, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going I'm to save. I'm going to help bring you back to me. He knew the purging of the whole world in the life of Noah. Abraham, beginning with the first Hebrew, saying, I'm going to pick one guy. Isaac, he continues it. Jacob, even though his 12 sons had all sorts of problems getting along, he used him. He knew that God had used Joseph to deliver his people to Egypt, and he knew that God used Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. He knew the story of Joshua and the military battle and taking the land in the promised land. He knew the story of the judges and the prophets and now the kings. Nehemiah gets it. And I found in my life, the more I study God's word, the more I learn from what God wants me to know in the moment, I'll be able to get it too. Later on, Isaiah would have a vision in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and in that, he sees the Lord. And when he sees the Lord, he has the same response that Nehemiah had in chapter 1. 
it breaks his heart. Because when you and I see the holiness of God, the purity of God, all of a sudden we feel, oh my, I have no business being here. And in the verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1, when you see Nehemiah, as we looked at last weekend, his heart is broken before God. Isaiah had the same thing. Isaiah said, uh, God, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I am literally blown away. If you look at the Hebrew word, it says, I'm a man undone. It means disintegrated, and it's right up there with far out, blown away, and all those things that were said in the 60s, Okay. Isaiah said it long, long ago. Nehemiah had a picture. Nobody texted him the picture. He had a picture in his own mind of what those torn walls looked like. He hadn't gone to see it. In two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, we'll celebrate. And I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but we will remember and we will grieve and we will thank God because it'll be the anniversary, 20th anniversary of September the 11th. Where you're seated here today is right where we put on the first anniversary 3,000 little white crosses right here before this building was built. Does anybody, were you here, anybody here remember? Remember that? And we had luminaries and we'd light that. So we can remember. Nehemiah is remembering the tragedy. We don't have put pictures on the screen of 9-11. That has been burnt into our mind for a long, long time. And now, after the prayer, Nehemiah has a vision. And he has four steps that he needs to take. And those steps, I think, are ones like we would take, whether it's a prayer to God and a vision that he puts in our heart, or whether it's something that we just know we need to do on his behalf. Number one is this, Nehemiah had to make the ask. In verses uh, one through eight, we realize that he appeals to, he has appealed to the right person with God, and now he needs to, needs to appeal to the king. And in verse five, after he told the king what he was, what the situation was, and the king says, Nehemiah, I've never seen you sad before. You're pretty bubbly, you're a happy guy, and now you're brokenhearted or you're sick, and I don't think you're sick, or you'd have stayed home, so what's going on, and why are you so sad? And he said, how can I be anything but sad? sad because the city of, uh, of my ancestors, where they're buried, the city of my God, it lies in ruins and nothing's, nothing's happening. And the king, because of this great relationship they had, the king says, what can I do to help? Well, when he got that green light, here's what he said in verse 5. He said, I replied, if it please the king, in other words, if this is a good idea, and if it, you're pleased with me, in other words, if we're okay, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He's implying, I'm going to need a little time off here. He asks later, I'm going to need some letters for your protection so I can travel, so you vouch for me. And by the way, I'm going to need a lot of lumber. I'm going to need some timber, so if you can give me some wood and make sure I can build the walls and, the, and build the beams there for, for the walls and all those things. I'm going to have to, uh, motorhomes hadn't been invented yet, so I'm going to have a little place to stay. And he mentions all the things that he's going to need. Now, what would have happened if Nehemiah would have been a slacker? What would have happened if he really wouldn't have uh, done a good 
good job. What would have happened if he was on probation because he was late to work and, and the king wasn't real happy with him? Uh, the king would probably just said, you know what, I don't think so. You're always looking for a little time off. I think you're up to something, something. But no, he and the queen listen to Nehemiah and they respond really well. But you have to think for a moment about what that ask really looks like. Well, here's one thing you don't do when you pray a prayer or when you ask on behalf of God to do some type of visionary thing. But one thing you don't do is you don't try to get the leaders, just, just coax them on. We had a consultant years ago who came in and I was asking him, now what would be your wisdom on, on helping for our leaders to develop an understanding of this and us head in this direction? And he said, well, you kind of get your guys to just start saying yes to a few things and when they turn into bobble heads, you go ahead and get what you want. And I said, I'm paying for this, you know, check, please get this guy out of here. I had to rethink. That's not the way any of us do business. We don't try to manipulate. We don't try to just make things work and ease people on so we can get our agenda. Nehemiah didn't do that. He didn't give shady info. He didn't become overdramatic and try to set the stage and wear the king out to where he had to say, Yes, I remember years ago we were going through the Bible in the whole year and we tried to involve all sorts of people during the, the teaching of that and we involved some kids one time on a little bit of a kind of a, a walk through creation kind of a deal. And one of the gals, she's all grown up now, it was uh, uh, Isabel Avon and she's just a little sweet gal but she was backstage, she's about seven or eight at the time and yippee, 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 she just talks the whole time and she's back there and I'm getting the kick out of her and when I see a kid that'll talk, oh boy, that's a fun day for me, you know. I'm going to bring him on out a little more. And, and uh, she says, I don't know. I'm having a good time being in front of everybody. It's really such a good time. Oh, thanks so much. I come to church here all the time. And she's just a whole chatty kind of thing going on. And, and she said, my teacher says at school that I talk too much. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? You know, I'm loving every minute of that. And she said, yeah, my teacher always says, save your drama for your mama. What do you think about that? And I said, that's a great line. That, I'm going to use that one, save your drama for your mama. That line is right up there with uh, Kevin Cosby at St. Stephen's Church in Louisville. When he spoke here years ago, we had him on a weekend. He was telling us about how God blessed the church and they had to buy three liquor stores just to tear them down so they could turn it into a parking lot. He said, we realized quickly that God had called us into the land of the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Bud Lights. And I said, man, that... That is one of the best lines I think I've ever heard. How do you make the ask? When a vision that God has put in your heart, how do you take that next step? And let me say very slowly so you can get them down. They'll be on, I would say they're on the screens. They'll be on one screen and they'll be on your screen and you can catch them if you want to. The way we do it is prayerfully. You don't rush into making the ask. That's very serious. You do it honestly. You don't try to, uh, you know, paint a different picture of what it's really like. You do it emotionally. There is room for passion, but don't get carried away on the drama. There is a respectful nature to the ask that needs to happen, and it needs to be really clear. Now, the ask that Nehemiah had of the king was all about three things, permission, protection, and provision. Would you say that with me? Permission, protection, and provision, all right? The permission was, I need some time off. The protection was, I got to have you authenticate my travel. I got to have some letters from you. And the provision was, I need some lumber, I need some timber. What happens when we make the ask on behalf of God 
or we pray the prayer to God and we sidestep permission. You ever gone and tried to do something God really didn't want done and you didn't ask him whether he wanted, you just knew, here's the refrigerator post-it note, I need you to take care of that by three today, God, please. When we go without permission, then it leaves us to assumption and entitlement and it never turns out good. When we go without his protection and don't ask for that, we become very vulnerable and endangered. When we go without his provision, then we gotta ask everybody here and there and there and there and there for help. And, and a lot of times we'll find out when you do that and we don't ask God for his provision, uh, you get a lot of no, I'm out, shark tank kind of responses that way. But Nehemiah got a great big yes. It was a great idea to the king to restore the walls of the city of God and the king did not know God, but the king knew God through Nehemiah. And our culture will know the heart and the love and the truth of God through you and through me. Did Nehemiah earn this? Was it all about the compassion and generosity of the king? Verse eight says it all. Verse eight is powerful, memorable, and in some cases, tattoo-worthy, all right? He says, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Would you say that last part with me? The gracious hand of God was on me. Here's my modified, encourage the person next to you, COVID-friendly, turn to your neighbor and say with your hand in your face, the gracious hand of God was upon me. Can you do that? The gracious hand of God. Okay, those online, turn to somebody you're looking at and do the same thing. You're not getting out of this. I see you on camera, all right? There, there's, there's something about this is the editorial comment. God has had his hand upon Nehemiah for a long time. Now, if God does some good in your life, in your health, in your wealth, in your marriage, in your family, in your occupation, in your education, your endeavors, and your spiritual aspirations, I would say a great response is not that you're lucky, not that you're fortunate, not that you're at the right time at the right place, but the gracious hand of God has been upon you and been upon me. Now, step number two is after you make the ask, you gotta take the trip. You have to saddle up and go. Verses 9 through 16, it says that now he's got the letters. He's promised he's going to get the lumber. He's got permission. He's got time off. Now he's got to create something out of nothing. Verse 9 says the king gave him police escorts and horsemen, and he was surprised that the king went out of his way to make sure he was safe. In verse 10, he gets some resistance, and always count on resistance when you and I are doing something that is, is worthy that God has called us to do. But Sambalay and Tobiah, two fellows who were not Jewish, are very displeased that anybody would want to help Israel, and they're kind of in charge there, so we're going to have to mow them over a little bit later on. In verses 11 and 12, they went at, he went at night with nobody knowing. In verse 13, it says he went to the valley gate to inspect that. Nobody knows he's there. And then he went to the place not many of us want to go, the dung gate. All right? 
<laughs> he's in the back and it's really smelling, but he's inspecting everything, every place. The fountain gate, the king's pool, there's too much rubble. The Kidron Valley comes around circles again and he makes it at the valley gate again. So he, he does a whole loop of the whole place and he is very thorough within that. But he doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't tell any of the priests, he doesn't tell any of the nobles, uh, of the Jewish people, of the officials, or anyone in the administration because he knows the principle of World, World War II and submarine activity, loose lips sink ships. He knew you can't trust anybody with that. He just trusted his envision to God. So how do you make that trip? How do you make that assessment in your life? You do it discreetly and thoroughly. There's time to get a person's opinion. And there's sometimes in our life we got to get somebody else's opinion. But at the end of the day, you have to decide on your own what God is calling you to do. So how do we assess our lives? How do we assess the life within our church? And let's take it a little more personal if we can make an application what trip into the depths of your heart and your life do you need to make right now? What things do you need to inspect that I need to inspect as well? What walls do you need to privately look at and see, okay, how much damage is there? And let's see what I need to do next. God, I'm going to need your help with this. Maybe not on an addictive level, but you may have some strong bad habits that are going on. Or maybe you've gone through something that has been terribly painful and you need to honestly assess what's happening. Maybe you've had a relationship like marriage fail and you need to do an autopsy of what happened. It's much better to do a biopsy, but sometimes we have to honestly say, God, What's holding me up? Why am I having resentment in my heart? Why are all these things going on? I need to take a look and see what you want to rebuild in me, where you want me to heal up. Maybe in the life of our church. I love what Rick Warren has put together on the whole purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church. How you got to make sure that you're all about worship and fellowship and discipleship and service and evangelism. Maybe to look in the, the heart and life of our worship. I, I, I love uh, what we're doing. We just started uh, well, a few months ago. We're doing a quarterly event for uh, uh, those of us 55 and older. And we had uh, our last one Tuesday night called Finishing Well. And we'll sing a lot of old songs. You know, you get people our age, we remember the old songs. We can't remember the new ones so much, we remember the old ones. And, and at the very end, though, we did something that was a little unusual. Oh, we'd done the old, there's a church in the valley by the wildwood. You know, you thought you were on Hee Haw if you'd have been there. It, it, was, it was a great night. Remember a lot of old songs we would sing in church. But at the end, we did a different one. We brought one that we sing here regularly on the, on, on the, the, the weekend worship. And it's become a favorite of mine called the goodness of God. And the, the chorus to me is just tearful because it just simply says, All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. You know that song. 
And when I heard our people who got a few miles on them sing that song Tuesday night, they sang that louder than they sang all the others. I had to text Sam Hancock and say, hey, Sam, when you came here a few years ago, you remember I just had one request. All I said was, if you can just help our people's heart for worship of God grow and deepen, then I'm going to be happy. And I just said, way to go. Because they sang that louder. You and I have to monitor where our worship heart is. You and I have to monitor where our discipleship heart is, our fellowship, our service, our evangelism, all those things. That might be the trip that you need to take because in the life of the church, we're always taking the trip to see what God wants us to do next. Now, the third step, and there are only four, so take heart, all right, only four. The third one is to cast the vision. And Nehemiah, he realizes, okay, I got permission, I got protection, I got provision. I've taken the trip and I've made the assessment and this place is a mess. It's always, everything's going to take longer than you think and it's going to cost more than you think. And he has to cast a vision, but he hasn't told anybody. But he comes together with the priests in verse 17 and 18 and the administrators and, and all the officials in the Jewish uh, leadership there, the noblemen, the potential team, and he speaks as a leader to the leaders. These are the early adopters. It's going to fly or it's going to die by the way he cast this vision with these people. And he says, now I said to him, you know very well. What trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. That's pretty quick speech. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. He didn't say, so I accomplished my task. He didn't say, so I got the sale. He says, no, they began the good work that God had put within their heart. The question comes about, how do you cast that vision? In your life, we will be leading those around us whether it's loving our family or those uh, nearby. And we have a vision to restore the integrity and the heart of God in our life, in our church, in our community, in our world. He did it. He cast the vision to the right people, the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. You see, the right people, those people were the ones who are going to be in, not out. He cast it at the right time. He, he'd done all of his homework. He made the appeal to them. He did it in the right way. And he acknowledged the present reality. And he did it with the right reason, for the right reason. Because God had granted them permission, protection, and provision. And he never forgot that it was all about the gracious hand of God. So, so far, to review what we've talked about today, in our life... If we're going to have a vision for a better tomorrow, it needs to be God's vision. And we make the ask, we say the prayer, and we make the ask of others around us. We take the trip. We've got to realize what we're in for. And we cast that vision that God's put on our heart to what needs to happen. The last two verses of this chapter indicate what they were really going to be in for. 
It says when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, so you've got a Horite, an Ammonite, and an Arab, three non-Jewish people that are in some form of leadership by the king since the Jewish people hadn't come back. When they heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Nehemiah and the king were this close. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, no legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. I mean, this is a moment that Nehemiah, uh, it's not a scolding, it's not a shaming, it is a mic drop. He lets them know it's all about God. It's all about us doing what he wants. And it's not about you at all. Rarely, when resistance comes in our life, is it somebody who's pulling in the same direction for us. And there comes a time that you and I have to define the moment. You and I have to define the moment of who we're going to honor. And we can have a time when we we can allow ourselves to become discouraged. And we realize, you know, there's a lot of resistance going on. God, I'd really take care of this part of my life, whether it's health, wealth, relationship, whatever it might be. But but I got this against me. I got that against me. I got them against me. And yeah, that's going to happen. These three fellows became the thorns in the side for Israel, for Nehemiah personally. As Nathan will preach later on in in the, the series, you'll find out it was so intense that they had to equip their people who were there to rebuild the wall. And they would, you're on that gate, you're on that gate, you're on that gate, get your bunch together. And they had to have a hammer or a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. It was constant. It was not easy. And yet they did it in 52 days. They defined that moment. All of our life is about defining moments. When you say, I do, you define that moment. When you say, I'm sorry, you and I define that moment. When we say, I believe, we define that moment. How do you define a moment? Well, Nehemiah did it really briefly and pretty loud. He said, this is all about God. And we're part of what he wants, and you apparently aren't. God defined the moment. And right now, as we prepare for our time of communion, there is no more defining moment than when God defined the moment with his son on the cross. And he invites us as we come together weekly. It appears that the early church had a moment with bread and juice, and they always said, let's never forget how this moment was defined by Jesus spreading his arms out and loving us. John 3, 16, God so loved that he so gave so that we might live. May this be a moment Jesus defined the moment as he instituted this and he transitioned the the Passover to the Last Supper to the Lord's Supper that we would call it or communion. He had already washed the feet of the disciples and yes, he washed the feet of Judas.
knowing full well what he would do. Everybody at that table wasn't convinced. Jesus leaned to him and to Judas and said, you go do what you got to do. Just get on with it. Do it quickly. So he could love those who were in. And today at this table, we make the ask for God's continued forgiveness. We take the trip back to the cross to remember what he went through just for us. And we align our vision with his. And we define the moment. Before we pray, let's partake and share in this moment. Father, in our hearts, we've had a moment to remember. And we've allowed this small piece of bread to represent the body of your son, Jesus. And we've allowed this small sip of juice to remind us that he was willing to shed his blood and die just for us. And today, God, we thank you that you defined that moment in history that as he opened his arms on the cross, he won't close them until time is no more or our life is over. We thank you for that invitation to know you and to love you, to be forgiven, to believe and to trust. And I pray today, Lord, as we end our time together, that it might be in this holy way that we realize you have made us in your image and that image has been messed up but we come to you to cleanse us to purify us to forgive us to make us whole and to chisel us down to make us become more like you and I pray we'd examine our heart moment by moment I pray for many of us today, Lord, that as we are facing a very difficult time and we need your strength, we need your guidance, we need your wisdom, we need your peace, we need your comfort, we need your hope. I pray you would be all of those things to us and with us and for us, that you would meet us right where we are. And our hope and our strength would not be in our ability, but it would be in you, in your gracious hand upon our life. So today, God, we give you glory for what you've done. And we acknowledge our hope and trust for what you will do in our lives.
May our vision, Lord, be your vision. May you align us to do your will. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we began our time with a little $100,000 pyramid. One more category. If you would hear these words or phrases, tears being wiped away, streets of gold, the presence of Jesus, no more sin or sorrow or death and all of eternity. You would, you would get credit if you said those are things we will experience in heaven. May we be on that path and may we allow God to rebuild us and the life of his church so others can be on that path as well. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.